quite some time of uh, doubt, I have decided to speak about doubt tonight, because it always happens when I, you know, reflecting on the theme I should speak about, it's for me quite difficult to settle for a theme, because I think first I think this, and then I think that, and, and I just, today I just, I was really fed up with it, and I thought, why am I constantly kind of jumping around and I can't settle for anything, and then I thought, Oh, that's doubt. And then I said, okay, then I speak about that. And as probably, you know, most of you know, it's one of the five hindrances. And <clears throat> I think of all the hindrances, this one is the most difficult to, to recognize. And, you know, it's, it can masquerade very easily as, as, as wisdom or discernment. And, and if you're not really <clears throat> looking closely, we can easily fool ourselves thinking that we're just doing that because we really want to give a very good talk or we really want to find something which is worthwhile to speak about or we really want to fooling ourselves into thinking that, that this is a, is a wholesome thing to do. But then if one really looks uh, closer, it, it just starts to unravel and can look underneath it and what I can see there is, is actually fear and, and also um, just worrying and uh, you know, not being confident and so different and mostly like emotional issues actually underlying that. <coughs> and then I saw they are getting really interested in this because it happens quite regularly and and I don't have any doubts actually about the teaching themselves, about the practice, but it, it has something to do, you know, with my own emo emotional situation in a, when it comes to, to giving talks, I guess. And knowing that this is uh, something which many people experience, I thought I can, I can speak about that today. And, you know, also knowing it has nothing to do with... Uh, me as a, you know, as somebody who wants to share what what I have been learning over the last twenty years or so since I meditated, it's rather like it's a universal experience which which we all share to a certain degree. And as long as we are not enlightened, we'll have the hindrance of doubt uh, coming up sometimes. And in the scriptures, it's it's. Um, it's compared with having a thorn in the mind, you know, whenever we turn towards a certain thing where there is some fear or discomfort or uncertainty connected with that, then the mind immediately turns away again. 
and it's like you know looking and then there's this the thorn comes out and stings and the man turns away so you know it's, it's also has to do with aversion and and also with delusion thinking you know by, by by thinking about it again and again and again it will go away for some reason that it can be you know sought to an end but then if you really uh, start to observe with with mindfulness you see it's never gonna go anywhere because whenever the mind touches that fearful energy it, it turns away and then if we if we fool ourselves into thinking that this is a, a, a wholesome preoccupation by thinking that we'll find a solution to this then we keep on you know going and going and going and never coming to any any result and the only thing what we're doing is we reinforcing mm -hmm. that habitual way of 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 um, relating to certain issues in our life and then we we make more out of it so it's very important to to catch ourselves and then starting to dig deeper to go underneath and then it tends to resolve itself because as soon as I see, you know, that is actually just uh, anxiety underneath or fear underneath, then I, I can open to that much easier because I can understand why. Because, you know, giving a talk like this in front of a lot of people today, it's not so many people, it is quite, um, you know, intimidating sometimes because it's not just speak we are reading from a book or something but it's really revealing your own uh, revealing about your own practice and revealing about your own inner world and that's can be a little bit scary sometimes so then i was looking into the into the experience of of this um, you know aversion because it's really amazing whenever my mind would go to what should I speak about today it just it just couldn't really settle and 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 think about it it would immediately kind of turn around like this and and then I would again try to bring it to the point and it would turn around like this it's it's exactly like it's expressed in the in the scriptures I found it amazing such a simple um, you know way of um, of describing it and, and so true because it exactly felt like that and in the scriptures also the antidote for doubt is called um, Dhamma Vichaya or, or investigation of Dhammas this is one of the seven factors of enlightenment and you know the seven factors of enlightenment are the you know, if if hindrances are overcome in the mind, if the hindrances are not active, then the seven the factors of enlightenment are present. And for example, you know, the antidote to to the hindrance of doubt is investigation of dhammas. That means, you know, that we are if we're experiencing intellectual doubt about the scriptures, we we, we just go and open a book, read about it or investigate it in our own minds or going to, you know, ask a teacher or somebody who knows a bit more than we do. And another way of uh, dealing with it is also, you know, to just keep very close um, watch over our um, sila or over the ethics 
because you know if even sometimes we mightn't exactly know an answer about an issue but we at least know about the five precepts so that if we can keep within the five precepts then that's that's kind of a good beginning that's a, a good basis for further development of the mind but so if we don't know an answer to something if if we can at least you know keep our our actions and our speech and our thinking within the five precepts, then we have a, a very good basis for for cultivating more insight. If we just start there, that's that's enough. And you know, there was there is a um, a sutta in the I think it's in the Ankutra Nikaya. And it's uh, it's called the Kalama Sutta. This was actually the first sutta I've ever heard, because my, my teacher Ajahn Buddha Dasa, this was the first sutta he would speak about for for beginners who who came to to that monastery in the south of Thailand where I started to meditate. It's called the Kalama Sutta, and it exactly deals, you know, with with doubt and perplexity. It's uh, it's about the Kalamas, who, you know, this is a village somewhere in India, and there is, from time to time, ascetics are coming through, uh, or different teachers and and meditators, and and everybody tells them a different method of how they can, uh, or of how they should practice, and then after a certain amount of time, they get very confused and perplexed and one day the Buddha comes through and then they ask him, you know, how should we practice, what's the right way and I'd like to read a little bit from there and the sutra is called No Dogmas or Blind Belief and the, and the questions they were, you know, were, were perplexed about was actually about rebirth and about karma, which are two, you know, rather complex issues. So what he says to them is the following. He says, it is fitting for you to be perplexed, O Kalamas. It is fitting for you to be in doubt. Doubt has arisen in you about a perplexing matter. Come, Kalamas. And then he says to them, ten different things, you know, they shouldn't blindly believe in, and some on four things they <clears throat> pertain to scriptural authority, like they shouldn't go by oral tradition, and they shouldn't go by lineage of teaching, or by collection of texts, or, or by hearsay. And the next four are about logical thinking. They say, don't go by logic, don't go, don't go by inferential reasoning, by reasoned co cognition, or by the acceptance of a view after pondering it. And then last two are about you know, not being in, you know, fooled by an impressive person, by the seeming competence of a speaker, or because you think the ascetic is our teacher. So he says, those ten points, you know, they are not enough. But he says, but when you know for yourselves, these things are wholesome, these things are blameless, these things are praised by the wise, these things, if undertaken and practiced, lead to welfare and happiness, then you should engage in them. 
So, you know, what, what that basically means is, is you know, it's, it's a combination. It's a, it's a combination of uh, personal experience and then, you know, fitting that into the context of the teachings. So the teachings alone are not enough. And personal experience alone is also not enough, but the combination of both, you know, having a personal experience and then reflecting on it, which is called, you know, what I said before, in the investigation of Dhammas or Dhamma Vichaya, the combination of both of these can lead to, to increasing clarity if it's based, for example, if it's based on ethics. And, and I think, you know, this is... Uh, we can see as a, is a, is a progression or a gradual path. You know, first we, we maybe, you know, we meet somebody who we are impressed with about the, the way, you know, they are conducting themselves or their presence. <clears throat> so, so like when I met my first teacher, I said, wow, I'd be, you know, be interested what he knows because I'd like to be like him. So that's, and then one goes, you know, and listens to that person or reads some of the scriptures and, you know, has a certain amount of intellectual understanding. But of course, you know, when, when uh, we are in difficult situations in life, if we just have an intellectual understanding, it's not enough because it's not quick enough, you know, it's not handy enough. If we just have to kind of think, what did I read in this book, blah, 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 and then it's already all over and, you know, you already have exploded maybe in anger or it's, it, it's not, not quick enough. But then, you know, if we keep on practicing, then it, it becomes an experiential understanding. If we bring, you know, that intellectual understanding back to our own experience on the cushion, in the beginning and then maybe later also in daily life if you know if mindfulness is, is, is sharp enough and quick enough and then you know if you really bring it deeply into our own experience it becomes <clears throat> an intuitive knowing it becomes part of our being and then it's always there and I think this is what what's what's called panya in in, in the Pali or wisdom in, in English and panya, you know, is a word which <clears throat> is a very interesting word because I think I, I very much like the um, roots of this word because wisdom, in, in the sense how the Buddha is teaching it, is a is not a you know it's not a body of knowledge or you know that we have a lot of scriptural knowledge, but it's it's a it's a very active uh, way of knowing, and the word panya itself makes it very clear because you know pa the prefix is has a very uh, dynamic uh, quality to it and the second part of the word na means to know so it's a knowledge in action what the word panya really means so that means you know whenever we meet anything in life the wisdom is always there, and it's it's a wisdom which is uh, which understands, you know, for example, the underlying laws which govern life. For example, the three characteristics of existence, impermanence, and you know, unsatisfactoriness and uh, not self. So it's it's a it's a very 
a practical way of knowing and it has nothing to do with uh, you know being able to recite a text or you know having maybe you know read a million books or being able to you know maybe translate from Pali directly or any of those things is a beautiful thing if we are able to do that but if we don't have any insight if we don't bring it back into our own experience and make it our own through you know observing it within our own mind and body it's not really it because it can't serve us very well when we are you know in the midst of uh, afflictive emotions running high then mm -hmm. we need to have it really with us so so we be able to you know know what is wholesome and what is unwholesome and that's exactly you know how doubt is a uh, um, let's say described, I don't have this other word now, and it says, you know, doubt means, you know, one, one doesn't know what is good for oneself, one doesn't know what is good for others, and one doesn't know what is good for both. That's how doubt is described. And so one doesn't know what's wholesome, and one doesn't know what is unwholesome. And because of that, one just goes in circles and in circles. So, and and the Buddha says, you know, the where, you, where we are starting with is, is with the five precepts because, because beyond any doubt, you know, they are very much like the, the watershed, you know, between wholesome and unwholesome. So we can start there, and I think this is actually pretty simple. And then once we have found a, what he calls like a sure footing, on the five precepts, we can just keep going, you know, until enlightenment from there. And I find this is a very uh, pragmatic and practical way of uh, of dealing with doubt. And this is what I was doing today, actually. You know, when my mind didn't want to settle for anything to speak about. I was just thinking, you know, it's neither good for me because I'm just going to make more of this habit habit of thinking, ah, oh, I can't give a talk and I have to find a very special theme and so on. I just thought, no, just stop it, you know. And then I thought, it's not good for another body either because <laughs> then she, you know, then I have to just go and say, another body, you have to give the talk, I can't give the talk. <laughs> and she's she really get fed up with me. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, it's not good for, for both. And also for all other people who in the future will join us. If I can't give any talks, they'll get fed up with me. And I was just saying, okay, then I'm just going to give a talk. So it makes me makes me smile sometimes, you know, how how simple the Buddha is able to describe um, things in the scriptures. And and then I can then, you know, really f um, find it in my own experience. Uh, I find it very as it makes gives me a lot of faith in the teaching and it really has this quality of of opening up the, the heart and the mind because I can, I can really see very clearly that you know, it has nothing to do with quote unquote with me but it's just like laws of nature and if you look you know long enough and deep enough then you know you can there is a way 
to you know, to find an opening into this. It's, it's like, you know, when you have a, a rusty machine or so, if you take it apart and you clear off the rust and you clear off the crime and, and you put it together again and it, it runs very smoothly, it, it, it felt like that, you know, that there was a real, uh, very clear guidance on how to, how to approach this issue. And I have great faith, you know, that for whatever... You know, it's going on in the mind. There is always a, a way to to deal with it, and and it doesn't have to be kind of complex or something. It can be very simple. And I also found another saying today, which 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 I found very. Uh, they're simple and beautiful, and it's from uh, it's from Suzuki Roshi. He's a Zen master, and he says, "Everything is already perfect, but there's a lot of room for improvement." <laughs> and I think, and I think that's really true, because you know, knowing that ultimately everything is perfect and is really true, but the mind is basically pure and radiant and and they're limitless, and there's nothing, you know, which cannot be known. But still, you know, if the hindrances are present in the, in the mind, then, then that quality of uh, purity and of knowing, it's just, it's, um, it's hidden behind the clouds. And... You know, and the improvement is uh, is lying in in our willingness, you know, to really look deeply at those clouds and and to more and more, you know, gain uh, wisdom and 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 faith that they basically, you know, are just uh, compounded and impermanent, and if we keep, you know, not turning away from those clouds. They, they will, you know, slowly but surely dissolve, like, you know, the sun coming through the fog. And we have a lot of fog here, and, and you know, something really looks like there is absolute... I can't imagine there's, it's ever going to lift again, because sometimes it's very, very dense, and there's no way that we can see the light. But then, a few hours later, it's gone. And if we can really pay attention to those transitions, you know, when, when we have been, you know, in the grip of doubt, for example, and then through reflecting on it, it starts to dissolve, and then suddenly, you know, the doubt is gone, and we again, you know, back in a, in a way that we can just rest in, in knowing the present experience, if, if we really can pay attention to these transition moments, that it that can have a very strong effect on, on our faith in, in the teaching and in our self-confidence also. Because, you know, the doubt is, is either, either is an emotional doubt or an intellectual doubt. And I think intellectual doubt is much easier to remedy because you just go to the books or you, you ask somebody. 
But emotional doubt is, is, is more difficult to remedy because it has something to do, you know, with like underlying tendencies like, you know, not enough self-confidence or, you know, being afraid of speaking in front of people or... Yeah, I think that's the main main two things. Also, maybe not having having faith in one's own, you know, intellectual capacities. And this is that probably requires more going into oneself rather than going to the books because that won't help. And what I also saw very clearly is, you know, there's this element of aversion also in it. And I found it also very interesting, the word aversion comes from the Latin root verto, which means to turn. And you can really experience that in your own mind, in the practices, you know, if there is aversion, how the mind is just not willing to to open up to this, but it rather, it, it goes there and then when it touches the, you know, the pain, it just <coughs> turns around like that and then go back, go back again and it turns around like that. It just doesn't want to open to it. And then, you know, once we can make friends with that uh, movement and can really see what's happening, then uh, it's easier to, to name it and, you know, and to, to catch it and, and to bring, you know, and this is what, the, what is meant with wisdom, is, is to understand deeper than just uh, in an intellectual way to understand intuitively what, what is going on here. And, uh, and through that understanding, you know, the mind opens and, and allows what is happening in the present moment. And through this opening and allowing, it knows how to respond. Because, you know, Panya or wisdom is nothing else but uh, a mind which is open to, you know, to meet whatever is happening and, and through this openness it also knows how to respond. And that's something, you know, which is not uh, intellectual uh, process, but it is, it is, uh, it is something deeper than that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a dualistic uh, Response, and it, it of course, you know, it's it's a, it's as I said before, it's a gradual cultivation which does start <coughs> with an intellectual or a dualistic beginning, but then through through the depths <coughs> of the practice, it it becomes a, a very deep knowing, and then it's 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 very immediate, and it's you know, it's it's there when we need it. And then quite often, you know, we respond in, in a way and we don't even know why we're knowing this. It just comes from the depth. So it comes from, yeah, from the, from the depths of, the, of our heart mind, we can say. I think Ajahn Sumedha was calling it uh, Sati Sampachanya. And... And Buddha Dasa was calling that, uh, was calling it in the same way. That has a, you know, mindfulness and uh, wisdom in action, which is which is there when we need it. 
and not later, you know, when we say, oh, God, I, I would, would have wished that I would have been able to, to respond like that, but now I know. But then if we, you know, if we keep on reflecting, in the beginning, you know, it might be maybe after 10 minutes or 5 minutes or 5 hours or 5 years, but then, you know, if we keep on reflecting, then the time will come when it will be there when we need it, and then that's really when it starts to make a real difference in our lives. And that's, you know, that's what what we would like to uh, cultivate for ourselves. Because then it's, it's a real protection for ourselves and for others and, and for both. And I think that's what we all would like to uh, arrive at. And also, you know, white doubt is, is considered the most difficult of all the five hindrances in, in a way is because, you know, if we, if we can't settle for anything, then we can't, you know, if we, if we don't have the courage or if we don't have the power to make a decision to go ahead, then also, you know, we can't make any mistakes. And if we don't any, make any mistakes, we can't learn from the mistakes. And so we, we, we keep on, you know, being like frozen, going in circles and circles, not getting anywhere. So I think it's much better, you know, to uh, make a decision and, and, and go ahead. You know, if it's based on the five precepts, it can't be that bad. And, and then if we make a mistake, we can learn from it. But if we, you know, want to have the perfect plan of action before we go ahead, then, you know, and, and we can't find a perfect plan, then we're never going to go anywhere. We don't make any mistakes. We, we don't grow. So I think it's, it's uh, much better to make a mistake and learn from it than to, to not make a mistake and just keep on, you know, stuck. So that's, you know, to make a mistake in a, in a controlled manner, controlled by the five precepts is, is, um, is a good thing, you know, making an experiment and sometimes, you know, the result is, is, uh, is wonderful and sometimes it's not so wonderful, but at, at least if it's within the five precepts, it's not unwholesome, that's, that's good enough. Because for sure it can be growthful. So I think I just want to mention again, you know, the skillful means how to deal with doubt. So depending, you know, if it's emotionally or intellectually, if it's intellectually, we can go to the scriptures or we can listen to a talk, we can ask somebody who knows more than ourselves. And if it's emotionally, we have to just, you know, go underneath and really see what's the, the reason that we, we don't dare, you know, to go near this issue and, you know, make friends with it. And also reflect on the fact, you know, that if we, if we kind of repeat a certain unskillful habit of mind, if we repeat it again and again, it becomes stronger. And, you know, maybe we can also, I have been observing that also in, with certain 
you know, friends in, in the Sangha who have been, you know, riddled by doubt. And, and then, yeah, because sometimes it's not so easy to see it within oneself, but one can maybe first see it, you know, if other people are displaying this kind of a hindrance a lot, to just see, you know, what it does to them. And then, you know, if you can see that, you can extrapolate it onto yourself. And then you can make a decision, and do you want to do this to yourself or don't you? So I think that's also, uh, you know, helps to wake up. And I was also reflecting there's another sutta which is called Two Kinds of Thoughts. It's in the middle end saying, number 19, and it's called Tveda Vitaka Sutta in, in Pali, and where the Buddha speaks like about wholesome and unwholesome thoughts, you know. So if, if there's a certain thought taking hold of our mind, reflecting on it first, is it wholesome or unwholesome, you know, for oneself or for others or for both? And then once we, we know that, then, you know, really the re by reflecting on it in that way, it, it can fall away, it can open up and then through that, you know, a wholesome thought can come into the mind instead. And he, you know, he was, he brings up two very, I think, beautiful similes, and I want to tell those two similes at, at the end of my talk today. And he says, you know, for example, if you know that there's an unwholesome thought in your mind, you, you should watch it very closely. And he compares that with a, a cow herd, you know, which, who is bringing the cows out onto the fields in the, at the end of the rainy season when the crops is very thick and very, you know, seductive for the cows. So he has to be very, very careful. He has to be constantly on the watch and tap them here and tap them there so that they don't go into the crops and eat the crops because once they start eating, it's very difficult to you know, to restrain them. And if he's not doing that, he's going to get into difficulties. But, you know, and that's, that's where if unwholesome thoughts are in the mind, we have to watch really very closely. But, but he says, you know, once wholesome thoughts are taking place in the mind, then we don't have to watch so closely. And that he compares with a cow herd, you know, who brings the cows out onto the fields at the after harvest, you know, when everything has been cut down, then he, he just can let the cows go around however they want. He just has to know they are there so that they don't run away very far. He doesn't have to tap them left and right. He doesn't have to watch what they are doing. He just has to know they are there. That's enough. So I thought that was a very... Uh, lovely way how, how, how he describes that. So just, you know, knowing what's, what's happening in the mind and then finding, you know, the right response to it. So for example, if doubt is in the mind, we have to really go very close and, and, and uh, try to rein it in by, by not 
you know, they're not turning away from it, but they're just looking straight into it. And uh, through that looking, it, it will give way, and then a wholesome thought will, 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 will replace it. And then, as long as the wholesome thought is there, we, which we can, we can uh, lean and rest into that. We don't have to put much effort. And then, you know, paying attention to when it when there's a transition again, and and then again, you know, looking. Uh, more closely and looking more deeply and uh, again for the until the next transition happens and that's how it goes until we are enlightened so I think I stop here Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.